Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. John chapter number 18, it is my endeavor to cover a whole lot more verses tonight uh, than what I did last Wednesday, uh, but uh, we want to look at the word of the Lord. Starting with verse 33, I want to read to verse 40, and uh, let's see what the Lord says. Last week we talked about caught between two worlds, and, uh, and kind of really did a very little uh, a synopsis, a little snapshot of Pilate between the uh, the crowd and Jesus back and forth. And so there are some things I'll touch on tonight that were touched on a little bit last, last week, but uh, we're going to touch on some of these other areas a little more deeper. I went there for the purpose of Pilate and his back and forth stuff last week, which was fun. Nonetheless, then Pilate, verse 33, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again. And called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Tonight, everything I'm going to talk about, I just place under this heading tonight in question form, release or crucify. Release or crucify. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, tonight. God, for meeting us here, God, through song. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you're able to touch our hearts and our minds, Lord, this evening. God, your word is a living word, God, and it is a pertinent word, God, even for us in this era of time, Lord God, in our generation. God, it's old and, Lord, perhaps even archaic, but God, it is still applicable, Lord, to us in our everyday lives. Help us, God, to learn from it. God, for today, in the name of Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen, of the church, amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Release or crucify. Jesus, Jesus wanted to know whenever Pilate asked him, art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus wanted to inquire a little bit more concerning Pilate's question. He wanted to know if what type of king was he being convicted with, so to speak. 
were they considering him a king in the sense of a political king as some type of uh, political figure or was he addressing him being the king of the Jews in a spiritual matter and not a political matter so Jesus wouldn't know if you're asking me what type or if I am the king of the Jews then what type of king are you referencing because uh, that's going to determine really a little bit how I answer you and so he knew when wherever Pilate was getting his information of course would influence then how Pilate was asking the question and so Pilate kind of rebuts and responds to Jesus he's like you know am I a Jew uh, Pilate in, in, in many regards had no interest in Jesus he is asking questions because the Jews have brought Jesus to Pilate to take care of a matter or to further a matter of him to crucifix which they could not do on their own or by themselves. Pilate wasn't a Jew. Pilate was a Roman, a man. And so the Jewish affairs really meant very little to Pilate. Uh, he dealt with them when he had to deal with them. And so Pilate's due diligence was based upon basically this. I, I need to come to somewhat of a provable accusation for a fair verdict. I got to give a verdict. And so I, I'm kind of pushing and prodding here, trying to find out some information from you and from them to have a provable accusation for I can give a fair verdict. And so Pilate's reasoning is this. He says, now, Christ... He said, you, you wouldn't be here before me on the stand. You wouldn't be here before me in this, in this lawsuit, so to speak, if you've not done something. You're here for some reason. So you wouldn't be here if you had not done something. So he asked him plainly, are you a king? And Jesus' words, as I made mention last week, whenever it really it reads in our English Bible uh, through this type of means that, that uh, thou sayest this thing of thyself or another, and he basically tells him in verse 37, thou sayest that I am king, which literally interprets in the Greek, uh, king is your word, not mine. That's what you all have said and not mine. And so then Pilate asked him, he says, well, what did you do? You're here because of something. What did you do? And Jesus says, brilliant. He doesn't say that, but I think it's brilliant. Amen. Jesus says, I come to bear witness to the truth. I was born for this purpose. I came into the world for this purpose. And everyone that hears, my, hears the truth, hears my voice. And so he basically tells him, I've come to bear witness to the truth. What's so interesting to this, uh, about this to me is this, is that Jesus is the one that's supposed to be on trial, but it feels like he's almost flipping flipping the switch here on Pilate, and Pilate is now on trial uh, before it's all said and done. Uh, Pilate, if you care about the truth, then you'll hear my voice. Those who care about it, those who want to know about it, will hear my voice. And so this is a classic Jesus of turning the tables of when people ask him question, he responds by asking a question. And they are searching, mind you, Pilate is searching for a reliable witness against Jesus and then Jesus tells Pilate whenever he says what are you here for what have you done he says I've come to be a witness for truth what's going on we're looking for a witness you're supposed to be the one that's convicted and we're supposed to be trying you but you're saying you're here as a witness Jesus just kind of messing it all up I think it's great amen and so then Pilate whenever he's he's given this 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 message about those that care about truth for those that would be interested in truth they're going to hear my voice Pilate kind of flippantly says 
what is truth? He don't stay around for the answer. He says, what's truth? I don't know if he's sarcastic. We, I mean, you can't, bad thing about scripture, you can't really tell tone of voice, you know. You know, well, what is truth? And he walks away from truth to go ask the crowd about it. Stanley Fish, and it's amazing, you find stuff in books that maybe not even religious. This isn't a book entitled How to Write a Sentence. But Stanley Fish said this. He said, Pilate has been interrogating Jesus who has told him, everyone that is of the truth, hear of my voice. He said, it is then that Pilate asks, what is truth? And immediately goes out to speak to the Jews who had brought Jesus to him. In short, Pilate makes a philosophical quip about truth, who can know what truth is, and walks away not recognizing that truth stands right before him in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that he's been asked to judge and he's been asked to condemn. And some of the irony of the whole situation is this. He asks the question, but he won't stay around for the answer from the one who can give it to him. Amen. Without, uh, without it being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sugar-coated. Without it being layered in anything else. Verse 38. Now, this is the first time you hear it come out of Pilate's mouth that he told the crowd, I find no fault in this man at all. He's already come to a verdict within himself. I find, no, I find no fault in this man Jesus at all. And so Pilate, with his self-conviction, with his self-conviction concerning the Lord, no doubt wants to steer the Jews away from crucifying this man because he is self-convinced that there is no fault concerning this man. And so he thinks, I, I know what we can do. I'll bring up the custom. Uh, during the time of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's typical for you to release a prisoner at Passover. And so he suggests to them in question form, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And the crowd cries out, not, not this man, but Barabbas. The people asked for the release in our, in our chapter here, our book of Gospel of John, release Barabbas, which equaled a robber, all right? You read the other harmonies of the Gospels in Matthew 27, uh, you can learn more about Barabbas. Matthew calls him a notable prisoner. You can read of him in the Gospel of Mark, you learn that's, that's the purpose of the harmony of the Gospels, you realize, right? They come together to give you like the full picture and full story, and they come from different perspectives sometimes. And so when we read about Barabbas in Mark, it calls him an insurrectionist. It calls him a murderer. So we got all these labels on the man that they want to release. Robber, notable prisoner, insurrectionist, murderer, right? And we want to release that. And we want to kill Jesus. Now let's start labeling everything under him. Suppose king of the Jews. Whatever, right? He healed my grandmother of blindness. You know what I'm saying? But our decision, just want to draw a little parallel here today. Our decision to release and crucify has always been between Jesus and the robber. John said earlier in his book, speaking of the thief, came not but to steal, to kill, and destroyed. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life 
and that you might have it more abundantly in John 10. Often we release the robber and we put to death the Savior. We murdered the Savior and we released the murderer. The Bible says in John 8 and verse 44, look at this. Year of your father, we've already studied this in our series. Year of your father, Jesus is speaking. Year of your father, the devil. How many more times can I stop and say something before I get through this first phrase? Year of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He is referencing the devil, who in Scripture is deemed a murderer, who in Scripture, even in John, is alluded to as that thief. Amen. There is a parallel that's coming here in the word of the Lord in John of them releasing the robber, the murderer, the insurrectionist, and yet wanting to crucify Jesus. It is our life every day. It's a decision that every man and woman must come to. Are you going to release the murderer and the robber in your life or are you going to crucify Jesus? Are you going to release Jesus and take in confines and keep in prison? The murderer and the robber in your life. Barabbas, rather, is a notable prisoner. Mark said, look at this now. I think this is interesting as I pondered some of these things this week. Barabbas, I'll keep on wanting to say Barnabas. Don't want to do that. Son of consolation. Barabbas, the June May thing. I guess it's getting on me in a different form. But (laughs) Listen, if if you uh, speak for any amount of time ever before people, something like that's going to happen. And if it didn't happen to you, it's probably because you don't speak regularly before people in some fashion. Barabbas is an insurrectionist. I just went to good old Webster or dictionary.com or one of those, you know, online things and look up what an insurrectionist is. That means that Barabbas was involved, listen to me, in a violent uprising against an authority or government. If that doesn't picture our adversary, then I don't know what does. Because our adversary, might I even say, the Bible speaks of it, and it's already at work in the world. It speaks of the spirit of anti-Christ. Against Christ. Against an authority. Against a power. Barabbas was an insurrectionist against authority and government in his day. It mirrors our adversary. He's still an insurrectionist. He's against the power and the authority of our God. And here's the thing, though, that we need to come to terms with for application for today. When you release the insurrectionist in your life, then he will attempt to squelch out the authority and the government of God in your life. Amen. And this is undoubtedly the case when you bind the Lord. Amen. You release then. You bind Christ in your life. You know what you're releasing? You're releasing spirits of anti-God and anti-Christ 
in your life. And again, First John tells us that such spirits against God or against Christ are already at work in the world today. Yes, there will be a man someday uh, through that seven year of tribulation. There's going to be some man that's going to be quote unquote called the Antichrist. But the spirit of that man, the spirit of that is already at work in our world today. How? It's trying to rise as the insurrectionist that it wants you to release and bind the spirit of God in your life. For that matter, the spirit of the world by and large is anti-God. I know everybody's a Christian, but the spirit of worldliness is anti-Christ. Amen. So don't expect them to release the king because a king has a kingdom and he has power and authority and he rules. No, they want whatever uprises against, you know, uh, the rulers and the governments and the laws of the land, they want to adopt that because we live in the world still yet today that I think, and you say, well, probably the 60s mainly because there was the rebellion. Well, if you say it started then, then it's not over because people still don't want to be told what to do. In many regards, Bishop, that's the spirit of Antichrist. Amen. John 19, verse number 1 through 11. Here we go. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited, plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hell, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. This is our Savior. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them behold I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him second time he said that then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns he's presented now before the crowd this the other was done in the judgment hall outside of their their eyesight earsight whatever but now he's brought before the crowd Jesus wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate saith unto them behold the man when the chief priest there for an officer saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith to them, take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. Third time he said that. The Jews answered him, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and said to the Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now, I touched on this last week, but I want to I just touch a little bit more here. There were three different levels. The Bible says after they're called for Barabbas, that Pilate then took Jesus and he scourged him. There were three different levels of scourging uh, in, in the, the, the Roman government. 
Uh, the first one was basically just a little uh, a beating that was typically for punishment. The second level was uh, also a prelude to crucifix, but it was a little bit more intense than just a beating. It was more considered a flogging. And then the third, which was the most severe, which was a very severe flogging, was also used as a prelude to crucifix. Now, there are a couple narratives. just want to share a couple with you. I, I kind of just briefly just kind of brushed up against it last week. There are a couple narratives about the scourging that took place here some believe that since this appears to be before the official verdict of the Lord a pilot given the official verdict of the Lord that what this scourging is in verse number one is the lowest level of scourging that pilot was trying to make a point uh, to the people of punishing the Lord enough and showing them hoping that they would say you know what yeah that's good enough you know because Pilate's already convinced right I find no fault in him they believe Pilate may have used this just as a punishment and somewhat of a compromise. Some believe that if, if, if Pilate thought if the Jews saw this initial scourging, then maybe they would have some mercy and wouldn't want the Lord to be crucified totally. And so Pilate's trying to find, you know, that compromise between the people of fulfilling the crowd's desire, yet at the same time pacifying his own convictions of Jesus not being guilty. And so these people believe that Jesus... Amen, that, these, that Jesus endured the worst scourging right before his actual crucifix. It's the prelude to crucifix. However, there are others that believe that the scourging that's mentioned in verse number one was the worst of its kind. I, I personally kind of just agree that it was just probably the worst of its kind. Um, you know, whenever Moses in the Old Testament smote the rock twice, he got in trouble because he did in the eyes of the people. Yes, but also New Testament in Corinthians says that rock that falls and through the wilderness was Christ and Christ wasn't to be smoked twice he was only smoked once so uh, I kind of lean to the fact this scourging is the scourging uh, you say well well he would be doing that before Jesus was ever even convicted well what else could we look at throughout history even in Pilate's day that Rome didn't follow the letter of their own law I just, you know, I, I, so I, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. But nonetheless, when Jesus, he went through a scourging that was a scourging to the nth degree, all right? And so Jesus is scourged no matter before crucifix ever happens. And the Bible says that Pilate, look, this is interesting to me. You see this in Scripture concerning the Lord in his death and all these things. The Bible says that Pilate took Jesus for the scourging. Yet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter number 50 and verse 6, as he's prophesying about what's going to take place, he prophesies and says that Jesus gave his back to the smiters. In, in real time, it says Pilate took him. Isaiah says Jesus gave his back. The reason why Isaiah said that is what Jesus comes to terms with Pilate sooner or later. Pilate's saying, I can, I can take your life or I can release you. He's like, you couldn't do nothing if it wasn't for a power from above. Both a governmental power above him and also a power above them, meaning God. Amen. Anything, Jesus, right, he laid down his life. His life wasn't taken. It appears like that in the, in the story that we read. But they didn't take his life. He didn't. He wasn't affixed to the cross by nails. He could have called a legion of angels and been up and out of there, right? It's the word. He gave his back. He gave his back to the smiters, Isaiah says in chapter 50 and verse 6. And so let me just reiterate 
And I'm not trying to gross anybody out, all right, by reiterating this, but I think it's important to really, really begin to compute in our minds what the Lord went through. Because the scourging, the whipping that he went through was horrific. They say the whip was known as the scorpion. The scorpion. Jewish law, mind you, you know, you read in the portfolio of the Apostle Paul, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, talking about, uh, you know, thrice I was beat 39 stripes or 40, 40 stripes save one. Well, the Jewish law, everybody say Jewish. The Jewish law restricted the maximum number of lashes that an individual could be given to 40 lashes. And so typically, they stopped their counting at 39 just for a buffer in case someone missed, missed the count, all right? And so they usually stopped at 39. So they had a limit, Jewish law. Roman law had no limit. Jesus is in the hands of the Romans with this scorpion whipping stuff. There was no limit. As a matter of fact, they called their practice of their whipping of the severest kind, they, they had a little name for it. They called it halfway death. Halfway death. And so they would continue whipping someone, the torturers. No, it usually wasn't one individual. It was usually several soldiers. They would, they would continue. They went until the torturers, plural, all of them were exhausted. So in other words, as Jesus is, is, is tied to a post with his back exposed to the whipper, one soldier's going to whip away. And when he gets tired, another one's going to whip away. And when he gets tired, how many they got? Another one. And mind you, these are just leather and straps. They got lead and metal and bone tied in them. Every hit, every hit is wounding, injuring, bleeding. And so they might stop when the torturers are exhausted. Or... They might stop when the commanding officer of those soldiers say, hey, that's enough. Or they might stop when the victim died. There were several people that never made it to crucifix in history. They died at the scourging. They died at the scourging. As a matter of fact, history says that victims oftentimes passed out from their treatment at the whipping post. And you know what they often did? They would grab a bucket of salt water. Their back is exposed. Veins, sinew, and muscles exposed. Some of their internal organs are exposed. They pass out from what they went through, and the soldiers grab a bucket of salt water. When's the last time you got salt in an open wound? They grabbed salt water and threw it on them to revive them back to consciousness. That's what my Savior went through. That's what my Savior went through. You got a bad day? Living for God hard? That's what he went through for me. This punishment was so horrid that the Roman citizens were exempt from this type of punishment. They didn't have to worry about it. They were not to be punished in this way or in this fashion. Not at all. And so they have all these things that could be exposed from the whipping. 
There were some that saw the scourging as mercy. They called it, this is merciful for them because this will help hasten their death on the cross if they go through the scourging first. They won't have to hang there as long. Folks, I don't know. I mean, maybe in some real weird and demented way, that's mercy. I don't know. But I don't think it was very merciful to Christ. But I do know that that act was very gracious to us. I don't know about any mercy in the scourging except for what Isaiah prophesied about Sister Pat when he said of the suffering servant, which he's speaking about Christ in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, Brother Ethan, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the peace that you have, he took the chastisement to buy that peace for you, was upon him. And with his stripes... We are healed. The next time your fever brow gets lifted, you remember some eternal organ on your master that's showing that brought that to you. The next time the diagnosis is, well, this is what we thought, but we had a second scan and it's not there. Remember that it took a group of tortures till they were exhausted of tearing the flesh of your Lord that purchased that for you. The next time you entertain sinning, don't forget the wounds. Oh, yes, Brother McGee nails through his hands and feet. Wounding happened before the cross ever got there. Look at his back. Look at his head. Now we know, Sister Sheila, maybe. We look at it oftentimes. It's not recorded in John, but it's recorded in the other Gospels as Jesus will later carry the cross beam of his cross to Calvary and they find one man by the name of Simon that takes up the cross after the Lord and carries it the rest of the way to Calvary. Now, maybe that brings a little understanding why Jesus didn't carry the cross all the way to Calvary. It wasn't because Jesus was a weak man. It's because he was already a beat man. Well, he didn't even carry his cross all the way to Calvary. Yeah, I'd like to see you do it too after what he already went through. It's not because he was weak. It's because his flesh was already beat. I tell you what, it would do us good, our flesh to be beat before we even make it to the cross. And just let the cross be the final finishing touches of a dead flesh. Amen. And along with this, I mean, if, if, the, if the lashing wasn't enough, then there was the cruelty of the mocking. Right? The cruelty of the mocking. Roman soldiers calmly played this game with their victims in, in their scourging. And as a matter of fact, you say the word mocking and you understand what their game was. This was their game. Their game was mock king. That's where we get our word mocking. Mock, king, mocking. That's where it comes from. Most kings of their era and time, they wore crowns. And they were usually adored in some type of royal color of distinguishment, of purple or scarlet. And they made a crown of thorns. The soldiers did for Jesus and put a purple, a purple robe up on him. And 
Primarily, many believe that the reason for the crown of thorns wasn't for so much so injury as it was for the case of mocking him to have this crown. They imitated the crowns of their day. They had these what were called radiant uh, coronas, and I'm not talking about virus, hallelujah, but they had these radiant coronas, they were called. Uh, The best way for you to think of it is the Statue of Liberty. You know how the Statue of Liberty looks? Those pointed crown that went out. So they had this this, uh, crown, radiant corona of their day, and they were trying to illustrate that upon the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. But certainly, certainly, uh, this mockery also brought pain. The thorns of the bushes and things in that native area were quite possibly, could have been up to 12 inches long. So mockery changed to pain. And mockery does have a way of doing that, doesn't it? Part, though, remember this for a moment. Is everybody doing okay? Yep. All right. Part of the punishment, if you remember, back in the book of beginning in Genesis, part of the punishment for Adam and his transgression in the Garden of Eden was what? Eve had her curse concerning with childbearing, and Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you'll bring forth, you know, the food from the soil, and the ground was cursed too, you remember? That thorn, he said thorns and thistles are going to be in the ground. This is going to be laborious for you to get something from this ground. Thorns and thistles are going to be in the ground. Look at it, Genesis 3, 18. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the, 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 the field. And so some of, one of the consequences, we might say, of sin in the Garden of Eden was the bringing forth of the thorns and the fists thistles that was in the ground. And so it doesn't seem a real surprise that that same thing, thorns, would be placed upon the head of Jesus because it is the perfect picture of our king bearing the sin or the consequence of sin of humanity upon himself. He took the curse of humanity and he wore as a crown of kingship. Thus, Sister Pat, removing the curse for us. And so they're there mocking him. They're, they're kneeling down saying, Hail, King of the Jews. He's in all this array and crown. The Bible and the other gospels say they put a rod in his hand, almost like a scepter. And so they're mocking him, this mock king stuff. And the mockery then led to violence, as mockery a lot of times does. They said, Hail, King of the Jews, which was commonly said to Caesar. Often they would say, Hail, Caesar. So they're treating him like Caesar. Hail, the King of Jews. And then the Bible says that he receives these things. He receives this hitting, if you will. Let me put it the way that it's spoke here in verse 3. They smote him with their hands. Now, these smitings, these smitings were not love taps on the cheek. It was like, Jesus. Jesus. No. They were smiting him with their hands in the face. I don't know anybody that likes that. I'm telling you, other trans- the Passion Translation translated, translates it like this. They were repeatedly punching him in the face. Maybe that gives you a different image. Okay. Your back is torn to shreds. You're bleeding all over the place. You're wore out. Who knows what type of physiological and psychological things are already happening. And then someone goes mocking and they punch you in the face. That's what my Lord did for me. And after all of this abuse, Pilate for the second time. He already said before this, I find no fault in in him at all. Yet went through this. 
And he says for the second time, I find no fault in him. And where this has all happened in the judgment hall, and we've had the crowd, remember last, sun, last, last Wednesday, and the crowd outside, somewhat oblivious to everything that was taking place, now they bring Jesus from the judgment hall outside to the crowd. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He has a, a purple robe about him. He's been mocked. He's been punched in the face. He's, he may be already bruising from that. His back is ripped to shreds. Blood is puddling where he stands. He comes out and shows the people this thing is like, here is your king of the Jews. And they don't see any remorse from the people. Any remorse from the people at all. He's adorned as a king, and Pilate comes out and says, Behold this man. He has all the rod, the, a crown, all the, all the makeup, if you will, of a king. But he says, Behold this man. And this has been the battle throughout John. For however long, verses of Scripture that we've been studying over and over again in the Word of God and the Gospel of John, has been trying to get the people to see this man as their king. And for the third time, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. I mean, how much does a person need convinced? What does he have to, what does he have to go through to prove himself? Does he have to die? He does. By Jewish religious law, the Jews said Jesus ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. The Jews believed this. It said, according to Leviticus, you can see it. If a person blasphemes, then they were to die. And the Jews believed that Jesus ought to die on the grounds of blasphemy. He's like this man Christ. He ascribes to himself godlike traits. He says he does the works of God, and these are the words of God, and all this stuff going on concerning himself. He's made himself the son of God. Well, he didn't make himself the son of God. He was the son of God. But they're saying he's claiming something that's not his when what he had was absolutely his. He was God manifest in the flesh. And so that religious matter, though, of the reason why they said he should die, that religious matter was not a Roman political matter. Really, it shouldn't even came on the radar for Pilate, but it struck a chord in Pilate's heart. Because he's asking, and I even said last week, well, what if I'm mistreating one of the gods of, of some world and the other gospels again the harmony of the gospels the other gospels you'll remember in all of the scenario that the only time we ever see record of Pilate's wife is during this time frame that she comes to Pilate and she says don't do anything concerning this man I've suffered much in a dream this night because of him Pilate may be pondering on that bishop and thinking you said son of God, and she said she was troubled in a dream about what. Be careful how you're handling. Those are good words. Be careful how you handle him. Pilate asked, this is the amplified version, to ask Jesus, to what? He came back asking him about where did he come from. To what world do you belong? And what did, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Jesus said nothing. 
What, what? Jesus said nothing. What's the big deal, Brother McGee? I'll tell you the big deal. Here's the big deal. We must fear the day when we have to deal with the silence of Jesus. When we've entered in such a dangerous area and our mind is so set that there's nothing else that he can say that'll change our mind. I would say louder than when Jesus spoke was probably when he said nothing. You better thank God when you still hear from God. The day you better fear is when you receive no more answers. And your conscience, as the New Testament scripture says, is seared with a hot iron. And God turned them over to a reprobate. If you can still feel conviction, you better thank God. Fear the day you're no longer convicted. Fear the day it's the, it doesn't any matter anymore to you. And it's no big deal. Fear the day when the preacher preaches that thing that used to bother you doesn't bother you anymore. That's the silence of heaven. Raise our hands all across here, please, right now. Seek him while he yet may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Scripture says. So Pilate speaks unto the Lord. Pilate, Pilate, Pilate. Don't you know I have power to crucify you or release you? This is his response to Jesus' silence. This is his, you hear me? This is his response to Jesus' silence. Don't you know I have power to release you? Or crucify you? What are you doing being quiet like this? Jesus' next words are telling. He says, you would have no power. You would have no power if you didn't receive it from Jeopardy going on over there? All right. What is crucified Jesus for 500? Um, his response on two levels, again, the power of Tiberius, the Caesar, 
and also the power of God. And he says, he that have delivered thee unto your hand as the greater sin. Of course, in the eyes of men, you know, we're the ones that gauge and put degrees of sin. Many think of Judas whenever he said this. But Judas isn't the one that really delivered Jesus into the hands of Pilate. Judas delivered Jesus into the hands of the soldiers and those that were in the garden. Many think more so of Caiaphas because Caiaphas is the one that delivered Jesus actually into the hands of Pilate. Now, here is the, here is the, the mind-baffling thing. Caiaphas is a Jew. Caiaphas is a man that should be one that is in covenant with God. And so Caiaphas, in comparison to Pilate, in the eyes of humanity, is the one with the greater sin. Because Caiaphas is supposed to be in covenant with God. Pilate, he's some low-down good, you know, for nothing pagan, you know, heathenistic, polytheistic person. Right? Caiaphas should have known better. Pilate, he's a Roman. Caiaphas has the greater sin than Pilate because he was a Jew and he had knowledge of the scriptures. But Pilate's just blind to all of this stuff. Pilate did ignorantly what Caiaphas did knowingly. It's like it's kind of like in the Old Testament scripture. Whenever the Bible talks about uh, whenever the Philistines won uh, against the Israelites and they took the Ark of the Covenant, we talked about this not long ago. Imrods remember that, nonetheless. And whenever they were over there, they created a cart to put the Ark on to send it back to Israel. Right? You remember that? And then you see later in scripture, whenever David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he puts the Ark on a cart, and a man dies over it. It's like the Philistines put, a, put the ark on the cart and it makes it back to Israel and Beth, Beth, Beth Shemesh and no big deal. The Israelites put the ark of the covenant on the cart and a man dies over it. Why in the world? Because one of these people were in covenant with God. One groups of these people were people of revelation. Listen to me, listen to me. Don't expect to get away from or get away with things that people that are not in covenant with God get away from. And you're supposed to be in covenant with God. The greater responsibility lies on those that call themselves his. Than those that are ignorant and have nothing to do with him doing those things. And you try to do the same practices. But there's a greater level of responsibility and accountability on you. Because you know. So Caiaphas has the greater sin as spoken in Scripture because he had the covenant. Verses 12, let's do it. We'll do it, 12 to 16, and we'll go on. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. Here we go. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself king speaketh against Caesar. Then Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. 
way. The Message Bible says in verse number 12, At this, Pilate tried his best to pardon him, but the Jews shouted him down. The Greek right there interprets literally this. He kept, meaning Pilate, Pilate kept seeking to release him. And that seems to have been the practice thus far. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And he continues to seek to release him. Pilate wants to, re- here, here, here we are again last week. Pilate wants to release him, but he doesn't want to displease the people or the God of that world. Because that could have a poor impact on his image. Historically, in history, Pilate was a very ruthless man. But he was, while well, he had a mentor. His mentor was uh, Sejanus. Sejanus was his mentor and also the one that helped him secure the job he had of being a governor here in Rome. So Pilate was a very ruthless character while his mentor was alive. However, during this time frame of the crucifix of the Lord Jesus Christ, his mentor, Sejanus, was either, we don't know for sure, but was either already or close to being executed because he had some unscrupulous behavior toward the throne. And as a result of that, anybody that was associated to him or in connection to him was falling under suspicion as well. And so since this is happening to his mentor, guess who else is in this scope? Pilate. So he's walking on eggshells, right? Got to keep my nose clean. All it would take is somebody just saying something because Caesar's already going to be suspicious. All it takes is somebody raising their voice and, oh, he did me wrong. And, so, and, so. and man, it could, it could be my life. So I don't want to release him and then them get mad and they say something and then I'm, you know, my life is taken for it. I don't, I don't need them to complain about something about compliance. I could be dead. So the Bible says upon the saying that the people, upon the saying that anyone who released Jesus or the king is no friend of Caesar, Pilate is ready then to share his verdict at the judgment seat. All right? He's ready to share his verdict. About here's here's your king. Shall I crucify your king? Are we doing all right? Man, I got to hurry, don't I? <sighs> Always in a hurry. One of these days, we'll just be able to pick the wildflowers and smell the roses. Let me skip some stuff. So he's saying, you know, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Jesus. We have no king but Caesar, rather. And the Bible says all this was taking place during Passover week. All right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. I, I, I'm getting there, folks. There is a hymn that is sung during Passover. It's at the end of what's called the Great Hallel, which is, means the great praise, the great thanks. And these are the lines of this hymn sung during this time. Listen to this. The Jews, this is what's going to come off their lips. From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Beside thee we have no king, redeemer, or savior. We have no king but thee. And yet their response to Pilate is we have no king but Caesar. I mean, this is celebration of Passover. They're gonna, those words are going to come over their lips and over their mouth. Pilate's presenting Jesus as their king. They say, no, we have no king but 
Caesar. It's very similar to the same attitude that happened to the children of Israel in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel where the Bible says they finally got together and said, you know what, Samuel? We want a king like all the other nations around us. All the other nations around us have an earthly king and we want that type of king set up over us instead of God. Note it very quickly, 1 Samuel 8 and verses 5 through 7. And said unto him, they spoke unto Samuel, Behold, thou art owed, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Their call, make us a king like all the other nations around us, similar to the call of the people in this day, saying we have no king except Caesar. You know what what those type of statements come from? People that say we have no king but Caesar. We have no king except what's in this world. We have no. You know what what type of people those, those statements come from? They come from people who desire to be like everybody else. Amen. Stand with me. I'll close. Part of Passover was based upon the fact of forgetting that. Forgetting not that I, the Lord, am your God who delivers you. That God was manifested in the flesh in John, in the New Testament as Christ Jesus. And then of him, they say, we have no king. The Bible says in the Message Bible, verse 16, that Pilate caved in to their demand. He caved in to the crowd. Mark 15, 15, another, another harmony of the gospel, told in one of the other gospels says, and so Pilate, willing to content the people, willing to content the people, release the murderer, release Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus for crucifix. When he had scourged him to be crucified. Listen, listen to Pastor Knight. Peer pressure is real. Peer pressure is real. And it's not only something that teenagers face. And it's not only something that little kids face. It's something that adults face. Pilate delivered Jesus to the soldiers to crucify him according to the will of the people. He caved in to their demand. He was willing to content the people because of what they might say. It's the very same thing that happened with Herod and John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded, you remember? Head on a charger. Herod's birthday, right? Big celebration, people's drinking and doing all this stuff. Herodias does her dance. He says, I'll give to you even to half the kingdom. She goes away, talks to her mother, comes back and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on the charger. And the Bible says that Herod was very sorrowful to hear this because he liked to hear what John had to say. But the Bible says for his oath's sake, because he said to the half the kingdom, for his oath's sake and for the people's sake, the crowd, the crowd, he took off the head of John the Baptist, who Jesus said there was none greater born of a woman than John. In both of these episodes, a good man, a king, a prophet, taken, 
because there's a majority crowd saying, let's do it. I ask you tonight, what are you going to cut the head off of? And what are you willing to crucify because of the crowd? Release or crucify again? What's your verdict? Let's bow our heads here tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.